the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Luke. Praise to the God who reigns above. Luke is a collection of eyewitness accounts that speak of the bodily life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was written so that we would know we have a reliable faith. Many people followed Jesus after seeing the miracles he performed and his treatment towards the religious leaders of the day. But people left when Jesus called his disciples to live solely for God, giving up all other causes. The scribes and Pharisees hated him and wanted him dead. Jesus warned the people of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. He warned the people not to be afraid of them, but rather they were to fear God. They were to guard against covetousness. We join Pastor Will in Luke chapter 12, verse 35. Jesus, we're in an interesting time in his ministry. Many of the disciples have stopped following him. Those that were interested in his teachings thought he was the Messiah. They've stopped following him because things he'd been saying had been too hard for them. And so the crowds now are more interested in the miracles and the teaching. It's a different environment for Jesus in this last year of his ministry. In the midst of Jesus kind of teaching his disciples, a man in the crowd cries out and says, tell my brother to give me half the inheritance. Under Jewish culture, the firstborn would get double portion, but this guy didn't want that. He wanted equal, and so you know, he demands that from Jesus. And Jesus, he warns the, both the crowds and his disciples to keep a vigilant guard against covetousness and worry because life is found in getting closer to the Lord and investing in other people, not possessions. And that's what our treasure needs to be, not things, but the Lord and other people. And when we're investing into the right treasure, our hearts will be in the right place. We would think then that, you know, verse 34, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Jesus has said everything he needs to say about the, the subject. But there's another reason we need to keep a vigilant guard against covetousness and worry, against loving this present world. And it's because Jesus could return for us at any moment. And when he does, we want to be found doing what pleases him, right? Jesus addresses this topic in verses 35 through 48. So let's pick it up in verse 35. Jesus says, let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. And you yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord, when he will return from the wedding, so that when he comes and knocks, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he comes, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them sit down to meet, and he will come forth and serve them. And if he shall come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. And this know, that if the goodman of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be therefore ready also, for the Son of Man comes at an hour when you think not. 
So here we see Jesus starts off after saying, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In light of that, let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. We read this and we don't understand it necessarily. Or it doesn't seem to stick with us because we, didn't, we don't live in a culture where these things apply. The symbols that he's using here apply. Orientals and obviously the Middle Easterners qualify for that. They wore robes, long garments, which made speed or working difficult. So that's their regular condition. They did not have electricity on all day. When I was a a kid, my grandfather, anytime he'd hear us go in and brush our teeth, I did what almost any kid does. Turn on the water full bore, you slab as much toothpaste on there as you can, and then when you put it under there, the full bore water washes most of it off. And then, you know, you brush your teeth while the water full bore is continuing to pour into the hole in the ground that takes it away from you and tells the water company to bill you for it. And so, when that would be going on, inevitably someone would hear the water running, they would come in and go, what are you doing? That costs money, you know, turn it off. This is the same home where we were measured by how much toilet paper we used. So these things were watched. (laughs) And we did not have the double. Never mind. I don't need to tell you all that. (laughs) So we keep our lights on for the most part a lot. But back then, their lamps were not kept continuously burning. Fuel was not cheap. It was not something that you had a lot of, of a supply of. So you only used it when it was necessary. Orientals, again, their normal condition was to wear their robes. And they would wear a sash around their robe. And, and if they needed to do work or needed to run for some reason, they would gather up the bottom of the robe, stick them in the sash, and then tighten, cinch the sash. So you get the work done. You wouldn't have all the other things getting in the way of your work. He tells us that our regular condition needs to be different than the way the world's regular condition is. Let your loins be girded about. That means you got the sash winched, you've got the robes tucked in, and you're ready to go to work. And it means let your loins be girded about means already girded and remaining so as you move forward. Let your, your waist be girded up already and staying that way forever. We don't ever let, let our hair down in a sense. We don't ever do that as it concerns these things, our guard against covetousness and worry. And our lamps need to always be burning. It means already burning and continuously burning. Our guard against making life about things needs to always be up. We're not to be like the rest of the world. Our regular condition needs to be a working condition. The girdle on, the lamp lit, never letting our guard down. Because when we pursue things or we worry about over things, it quenches our love for the Lord and it keeps us from doing his work. In Luke chapter 8, 14, the parable of the sower, Jesus told us that these things, either pursuing possessions or being worried about possessions all the time, they choke out our love for the Lord. He says in Luke eight fourteen, and that which fell among the thorns, the seed, are they which when they have heard, they go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and they bring no fruit to maturity. They keep us from growing in the Lord. They paralyze our growth. To help us understand what this, so what does a regular condition of vigilance look like? Jesus gives us an illustration. He tells the parable of the prepared servants. He says, and you yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding, so that when he comes and knocks, they may open unto him What's the word there, the last word? Immediately, immediately. The word there, wait for, it means to remain in a place with expectancy concerning a future event. When the Jewish wedding feast would occur, it would usually be seven days, not always, but usually it would run that length. So you didn't know when he was coming back, but you had a general idea that after seven days went by, he's coming back. At some point, he's coming back. It's probably not going to be six days, but it likely could be eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. In that time frame, he's probably going to come. 
So they were remained in their place, expecting him to return at any moment from this wedding feast. And the result of that is, when he came and knocked on the door, immediately they could open up and welcome him in back home and be ready to serve him. See, even though you and I don't know exactly when the Lord will arrive, we know it's imminent. And because we are waiting, we will see him coming if he chooses to come in our time. That's the idea that this conveys here. Always vigilant, always on guard, so that Jesus isn't knocking and no one's coming to the door. That we're not busy off doing other things because we've thought to ourselves, ah, it's late, man, I need to get some sleep. We're always ever vigilant, ever ready. If we invest our lives properly by treasuring the right things, even though we don't know when the Lord will return for us, we will be ready because our regular attitude will understand it's imminent, just like these servants. And being ready like this, it does bring us some special blessings, two of them. Number one, it says, blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he comes, shall find watching. The word there, blessed, it means to enjoy God's favor, to be happy. Real happiness here on earth is the portion of those who are watching for Jesus, who are waiting for Jesus. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he comes, shall find watching. The word they're watching means to be in continuous readiness, continuous alertness. That first blessing that comes to us if we're continuously ready and alert is real happiness on this life. Now, let me ask you a question. Has worry ever made you happy? First, first service, I'll said, no. <laughs> nope. And it's true. Worry has never made us happy. What about putting an undue priority on acquiring stuff? Has that ever made you happy? No. True happiness comes for those who are looking for Jesus. That's where our true happiness comes from. So that's the first blessing you'll get for being prepared. The second one, he says, Verily I say unto you, that he shall gird himself, that's the Lord, and make them, that's us, to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. Now, verily, it means truly, and Jesus usually says that when it's hard for us to believe something. This is really true, even though it's hard to believe, that if he finds us watching and waiting, that he will gird himself, he will put the sash on, tighten the winch, and he will make us to recline at the guest table, and he will come forth and serve us. Even though we don't deserve it, Jesus will serve us at the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's what the Bible teaches His love for us eclipses any love, any loyalty, any trust we could ever place in him. And yet, even though that's the case, even the smallest of those things that we do that touch his heart, they touch his heart in such a way that he wants to bless us. Isn't that cool? Like, like we're going to be sitting around there, and you know, and and we had a a gal, a little girl at Bible college. Uh, she was a daughter of one of the teachers. And, and she would say, when I get to heaven, Jesus is going to cut my meatballs. <laughs> I don't think there'll be meatballs in heaven because meatballs require meat, which requires death. Don't want to get into that topic today. You can mourn later. <laughs> but the idea, she understood it. Jesus loved her that much. That he was, his heart would be touched by even the smallest of things that we could do that could never compare to him. He loves us that much that he's going to serve us. The Bible says that, you know, we're going to get these crowns. It always baffles me, the idea that I'm going to get a crown. He's going to put a crown on my head. You're the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And we're going to, when we get it, we're going to actually take the crown and throw them down before him and go, but you're worthy, not me. Why do I have a crown? But then later on, we see him casting down the crowns again, which means somebody needs to put them back on. He's going to pick them back up, give them back to us. No, I want to bless you. You touched my heart. 
you bless me. Paul talks about this second blessing in 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8. He says, for I am now ready to be offered in the time of my departures at hand. I have fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. And because of that, he says, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, and I mean, that's the thought, the Lord, the Lord, the righteous judge, the judge who never does anything wrong, always does everything right. He'll give to me at that day. And here it is, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. This crown was because he was looking forward to Jesus. He was waiting for Jesus. He was loving the idea of Jesus' return for him. And so I ask you this morning, are you looking for Jesus? Or are you clouding your life with stuff, whether it's through covetousness or worry, or things clouding that anticipation? And we need to be excitedly anticipating Jesus' return, are you? You might be saying, but Pastor Will, it's been 2,000 years. I mean, how many Christians have had that mindset and but they never experienced Jesus' return? First, I'd like to point out that both blessings, you get them regardless of whether Jesus comes back in your day or not. Because happiness here, and then he serves you there. So like you experience the blessing either way, whether he comes in your day or not. But the second thing I'd like to point out is that Jesus tells us to be disciplined in our readiness, even if it seems like his coming is very late. Look at verse 38. It says, and if he shall come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, well, blessed are those servants. The watches are interesting. The Romans divided the night into four watches. So 6 p.m. is when the night started. 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. was the first watch. 9 p.m. to midnight was the second watch. Midnight to 3 a.m. the third watch. And 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. was the fourth watch. Most people were indoors by the first watch because just culture back then, it wasn't as well lit. I mean, it was, just, it was not safe to be out at night. But even if you were still out a little bit after the first watch started at 6 p.m., no one traveled during the other watches. It just wasn't safe. No one ever traveled during those watches. But what's interesting then is that Jesus here, he says, but if he shall come in the second watch. Now the word if there, Bible languages are interesting because they're, they're so much uh, more dynamic than our language. We just say, well, if this, then this. But like in Greek, they actually have four different kind of if-then statements. For the first one is they have is like the clause, uh, conditional clause of reality. And so it, normally you'll see it translated since in the Bible. Like one mistranslation in the Bible, Satan's tempting Jesus and he says, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. It really should be translated since you're the son of God. It's a first class conditional clause of reality. Satan was questioning whether he was the son of God. He knew exactly who he was. Since you're the son of God, why are you putting up with this mess? Just turn the stones into bread. The second clause is a clause of unreality. And we would kind of use it like, if pigs fly, then I'll do this. And of course, since pigs don't fly, you won't do this. Elephants fly, but pigs don't apparently. Orlando, Disney. The third class clause is the clause of lesser uncertainty. Fourth is greater uncertainty. So in other words, Jesus isn't saying, and if he shall come, he's not saying that he won't come. He's saying, I'm certainly going to come. But what's uncertain is the timing. The Bible says no man knows but the Father. That's what Jesus said. No man knows that they are the hour but the Father. I don't even know. And there's reasons for that I can't get into this morning. It's not that Jesus doesn't know everything, but that knowledge he has restricted himself from because of the, the way the, the whole marriage symbolism of the return of Christ works. Don't have time to get into that this morning. But the point is, he is coming, but we don't know when. And so we say, he doesn't know when. And so he says, if it's in the second watch, when people didn't travel, 9 p.m. to 12 mi uh, midnight, or the third watch, midnight to 3 a.m., certainly no one's ever on the road at that time, he says, it is possible that he might arrive very late. 
And if he does, and he finds us watching and ready for his arrival, then even though it's very late, we'll still be a partaker of these blessings. So Jesus, guys, I know it's it's been 2,000 years, but he is coming back. We can't grow weary in well-doing if the hour becomes late. Brew some coffee. Brew some spiritual coffee, man. Seriously. I mean, that's the idea. It may be late, but we must finish well. We must hold on. We must continue in a state of alertness. Uh, Just like someone who knew his house was going to get broken into, Jesus says, and this no. In other words, this is what you, you must understand. You must understand this. That if the goodman, the owner of the house, had known what hour the thief would come, well, he would have watched and he would not have suffered his house to be broken through. If you knew that a thief was coming into your house to break in at 2 a.m., you may be exhausted at 1 a.m. You may be really tired. You're not going to just doze off, though, because you know something's happening at 2 a.m. that requires you to deal with it. If you know that, then you'll be ready. So we know Jesus is coming back even if we don't know the time. He says, be you therefore ready also. For the Son of Man comes an hour when you don't know. You know he's coming. It's certain. You just don't know the hour. So at 1 a.m., you can't say, well, it's 1 a.m. Nobody travels at 1 a.m. I'm going to bed. And the problem is that the master comes and knocks and you're not ready. You're not ready. Jesus, he compares himself to a thief here. Certainly he's not a thief. But he says we need to be prepared. Be therefore ready. It actually means you need to become prepared, which implies that the people he's talking to are not prepared. You need to become prepared because I can come in an hour when you don't, you don't think. Jesus uses the image of a thief again because there's marriage symbolism here. I can't get into it this morning. It's not the purpose of this study. But it is interesting to think of this. When the Lord comes back, he's not gonna leave the world the way it is, right? I mean, he's going to change it. He's going to fix it. The world won't continue the way it currently is. So if this world and the things of this world, possessions of this world is what dominates your thoughts, whether you're pursuing them or worried about them, if that's what you're holding holding on to, he's going to take all that away and then you'll be left with nothing. You know, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, he tells them regarding the return, this is Paul, because in chapter 4 he talks about the rapture. He says in chapter 5, verse 1, but of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write unto you. He'd already taught them in depth about this topic. And it's fascinating. People say, oh, the rapture, it's not a big, important topic. I beg to differ with you. Paul was only in Thessalonica for four weeks, and he talked about end time stuff. I mean, I, I mean that seems like it would be something that he got to quickly, <laughs> and, and I only get to things quickly if they're important to me. But he says to him, I don't need to t- write unto you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, and that refers to those who don't believe, they shall say, peace and safety. We're just continue on. Everything's fine. That's when sudden destruction comes upon them like labor upon a woman who's pregnant. I mean, if, you, know, it's, when it, you, know, you, don't, you know it's coming, but if it happens, it's go time. And so he says, that's how it happens. Just boom, it's It's time. And they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in the darkness that that day should overtake you like a thief. You are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Watch and be sober. Alert, ready. As Christians, we're not to live in darkness. We're not to live as if Jesus isn't coming back. We're to live as those who are ready. 
Now, verse 40 should have ended the discussion. I mean, Jesus doesn't have anything else to say, per se, that he's, said every, all, he's put all his thoughts out there on the topic of covetousness, worry, being vigilant, being prepared for his return. But Peter, in verse 41, he asks a question that requires Jesus to give a bit of a heavier explanation. In verse 41, then Peter said unto him, Lord, do you speak this parable unto us or even to everyone? And the Lord said, well, who then is that faithful and wise servant whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give him their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he comes, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But, and if that servant say in his heart, oh, my Lord delays his coming and shall begin to beat the men's servants and maidens and to eat and drink and to be drunken, well, then the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looks not for him. And at an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in sunder and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much of him they will ask the more. We start with Peter's question here and it's an interesting question. The phrase to us is emphatic in the Greek, so Peter actually said something along the lines of, you talking to us? Or are you talking this parable to everybody? He starts with that, that idea, are you talking to us? Or are you telling this parable to everybody? Why would Peter ask a question like that? Some think he was concerned that Jesus was offering these blessings to, to those that might come after Peter, and he thought that wasn't fair because they'd left everything to follow Jesus. So he wanted to clarify, Jesus to clarify that they were special. Peter does that a couple times, other times in the Gospels. Others think, and I lean this way, that Peter was thinking, well, Jesus surely can't be talking about us needing to be vigilant and against covetousness or worry or become prepared for his return. I mean, we've already left everything to follow him. I tend to lean that way, but who knows? You can ask him when you get there. And if you go to heaven before me, you can have a big sign saying I was right or Pastor Will was right. I think it's interesting when, as you read the verses that come after, it's interesting to note that Jesus doesn't really answer Peter's question. You're talking to them or us? Jesus simply defines what a faithful and ready servant looks like. And this is important because it reminds us that Jesus is not talking about how to get saved here. He's talking about what a saved person does. That's what he's talking about here. I want to read to you something from J.C. Ryle because he says it way better than I could. He said, this lesson is one which is greatly needed in the churches of Christ. We hear a great deal about people's intentions and hopes and wishes and feelings and professions. It would be well if we could hear more about people's practice. For it is not the servant who is found wishing and professing, but the servant who is found doing whom Jesus calls blessed. This lesson is one which many unhappily shrink from giving and many more shrink from receiving. We are gravely told that the talk of working and doing is legal and brings Christians into bondage. Remarks of those kind should never move us. They savor of ignorance or perverseness. For the lesson before us is not about justification, but about sanctification, not about faith, but about holiness. The point is not what a man should do to be saved, but what ought a saved man to do. For the teaching of Scripture is clear and express upon this subject. In Titus 3.8, a saved man ought to be careful to maintain good works. The desire of a true Christian ought to be to be found doing. So as we read through this, I realize it's a heavy portion of Scripture. But the point is, Jesus isn't telling Peter who he's talking to. The point is, be a faithful and trusted servant. Be a faithful and wise servant. So as we go through this, let's make that our choice and our desire. 
So in verse 42, Jesus gives the answer not to Peter in the sense of who he's talking to, but he says, who then is that faithful and wise servant whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? The steward here, the faithful and wise steward, the steward position is the middle position between the the owner of the home and the servants, if they had servants. So this was the one who was kind of given the responsibility to oversee the servants and the general productivity of the home throughout the day. Depending upon how good of a person did at that job depended on what you entrusted them with. Here Jesus says, who is this faithful and wise servant whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion in due season? In other words, who is that trusted servant that the master gives full reign over the entire house affairs? He's going to tell us what that's like. It's interesting, if you actually read it literally, it's literally, who is that faithful steward the wise man. Jesus has used that term, a wise man, in other sermons to refer to a person who hears his word and lives it out, right? The wise man built his house upon a rock. He heard the word of God and did it, right? This is a lesson that Peter and we need to grasp from Jesus' teaching here. We need to be a wise man. We need to hear God's word and do it. We need to be trusted servants. And here's how. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he comes, shall find so doing. That faithful steward, the wise man, is the one that his Lord, when he comes, shall find him so doing. What's so doing? Faithfully handling the house affairs. I don't know what house affairs God might have placed you over. I don't know what giftings he's given to you. We'll get into that a little bit later. But the point is that when the Lord returns, he finds him faithfully handling what he was entrusted with. That's what he finds him doing. That's what it means to be a faithful steward, a wise man. And Jesus says, of a truth, I say unto you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. Jesus' return is imminent. It can happen at any moment. We are to be watchful and pray, knowing that he will come back. This blessed hope should cause us to remain pure loving God over everything, and should cause us to share the good news with the people around us. If they don't know Christ's love and salvation offered to them, they will spend eternity away from God. We must share these things. He will be here soon. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.